0: Here we go. Welcome,
1: Welcome to the Nine Round, Round Fantasy Football, Football
0: Podcast.
1: Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in to the Nine Round Fantasy Football Podcast. Pat and Scott, we're here to... Uh, go over a little bit of the the although last week was wild card weekend this was a lot wilder uh, in the <laughs> divisional rounds of the playoffs to say the least I think Kansas City just scored again while we were just uh, starting this podcast Pat and uh, again it, just a just a crazy weekend uh, obviously you know we made some calls and we're going to go into our calls on the championship week games uh, we're also going to touch base on our drafts uh back in the day just like all of you out there we did pick players and we prognosticated who we thought was going to be the best and or worst at the positions pat and i had our ranking system done uh he he was pat was tirelessly working on an excel spreadsheet which he has updated with all kinds of bells and whistles now just this the sheet alone just shows me how far we've come um through the <laughs> season but Uh, Just a crazy weekend football-wise, Pat. Uh, What were your takes, I guess, from everything that you saw out there? Mine is that I just want the Bengals to win so that I don't have to see any more TikTok posts from Jackson Mahomes or Pat (laughs) Mahomes' wife doing any other just completely off-the-wall stuff with champagne or or water or Gatorade or or anything like that.
0: Yeah, so the divisional round was – you know many many people are calling it the the greatest weekend in, in NFL football history i mean obviously we saw three walk off field goals at at the buzzer uh and then you know obviously this the the overtime game which you know a lot of people out there are you know kind of rehashing the you know are the playoff uh, excuse me are the overtime rules you know fair you know the team that wins the coin toss wins you know x amount of the time this and that i'm not going to throw all the numbers at you but what do you think about the what do you think about the overtime rules there's a lot of people out there today that are saying that you know it's not really fair that Josh Allen didn't get to touch the ball in a game that was so back and forth that for one team to be the only you know for Kansas City to be the only team to touch the ball in the overtime period it didn't seem very fair what do you, what do you what do you think on that i'm i'm Interested to, to hear how you feel about it. I know how I feel about it, but.
1: Uh, I, I mean, look, when it comes to overtime or extra innings or, you know, anything like that, when it comes to sports, I feel like if you're that good or if you deserve to win and all those things like you, you shouldn't have to get there. Now, granted, it's in place so that it, games don't end in ties, but I, I just don't. If it's going to be an overtime period, but they're going to make it sudden death. Then it's not really overtime. It's just sudden death. It's just you know in, in soccer it's called golden goal, different things like that. Like it's just they just keep playing, but the first team that gets it gets it. So maybe they decide that they change it for the playoffs. I don't know. But your defense has to make a stop. you you get you get a touchdown with 13 seconds left in that Buffalo game, and you take a three point lead, and you're thinking, yeah, you know what, uh, uh, we're we're probably going to win this game, and unless then you know 13 seconds albeit like nine or, or whatever that was that yeah they get down the field they get in position they kick the field goal and they tie the game and then yeah you get into overtime and it's just right down the field yeah. Buffalo had the number one defense in the league the entire season and I know Kansas City's offense is potent we, we all know that but they couldn't stop them at all during the game they only punt it twice you know Mahomes just had his way with them I, I feel like if the rules are the rules, then either they have to be the way they are or change them just for the playoffs, you're, you're opening up can of worms. I mean, I, I hate that – it uh, it was exciting, but I hate to see that just zero defense at all for two teams that – and Chiefs had a top-10 defense this season too. So, me personally, I mean, I feel bad for the Bills, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, <laughs> that there was a lot to be said, you know, this morning and, and – yesterday about all three phases of the game and how green Bay's special teams, you know, the forgotten phase, so to speak, Mm. gave up that game and this and that. And is defense not a phase of the game anymore? Like you have to play defense. Like you're absolutely right. The bills should not have given up that field goal with 13 seconds left. They should have made a stop. They changed the overtime rules. If you remember, I don't remember when the, the overtime rules changed exactly, but it used to be all you had to do was go down and kick a field goal to yep. win the game in overtime. It was literally the first score wins. And then they changed the rules to make it a little bit more fair and put some onus on the defense to say, okay, we're giving you guys a chance. You say that it's not fair that the first team to get the ball is going to win, you know, 75% of the time or whatever the, you know, the numbers were now they only, they're only going to win if they score a touchdown. It's it's not as easy as just getting a field goal. If they get a field goal, you get the ball. And so they did change those rules. And now that, you know, we saw a really great game end in, albeit a, a maybe not the greatest fashion, with you know one team not even getting their offense on the field. That's the way that it would have been. And Josh Allen was even quoted after the game as saying, "Hey, listen, man, the rules are the rules. Trust me, if we would have got the ball and went down and scored a touchdown, we'd be celebrating right now and wouldn't have any issue with the rules either. So we just got to do a better job and make more plays." And I and I think for for everybody out there who is wanting the NFL to change the overtime rules, play some defense, you know. I mean that's that's really what it is is you, you were given an opportunity when they changed the rules from what they were when it was just a field goal to win the game. So I I don't really is are there better options out there? Yeah sure I've I've seen a few you know suggestions that I think are legitimate options but the rules are the way they are and they were that way when they, the game started. It just so happened that that game went to overtime. And at that point, you got to play by the overtime rules as they're set. So, uh, enough of that. I don't want to beat up that point, but I was just interested in, in getting your opinion on that because I know that, you know, there's, I'm reading a lot of stuff where people feel very strongly on one side or the other of these overtime rules. And uh, I just thought it was kind of comical that. You know we're we're sort of downplaying the greatness of that game by complaining more about the overtime rules than lifting up what a what a spectacular game that was. Speaking of games, well, let's get into our game picks. I know that we want to uh, make sure that we have time to get into our our draft recap. So let's jump into the championship weekend. We have the Cincinnati Bengals going into Kansas City to take on those Chiefs that we were just talking about. The Bengals are a seven-point underdog. The over-under in that game is 54 and a half. How are you feeling about this game? What do you think?
1: I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to see, you know, Cincinnati's just playing with house money. They didn't have a lot of business winning against Tennessee the other day. I mean, it, their offense was held, that explosive offense that they have was held in check pretty, pretty strong by Tennessee. Tennessee lost because the quarterback threw three interceptions. If any one of them is a field goal, let alone a touchdown drive coming out, especially at the end of the game, you're probably talking about a whole different setup and, and Kansas City be going to Tennessee. But with their win last night, they host the Cincinnati Bengals. I see it's about a touchdown over under 54 and a half. Do they run out of gas? I mean, you have you have two teams, both games that are just kind of you know riding the wave right now, and sometimes that's one of the scarier things. I don't know if the Bengals have enough to really get out there. Are they going to realize where they're at this week? You know, it's one thing to play Tennessee, and it's one thing to beat the Raiders at a home game, but now you're going to go into Arrowhead. There's a team that's been there, done that. They're, you know, they went, gone to the last two Super Bowls. They won two years ago, and they're they're pissed off, and they want to get back there to show that last year was a lot of injuries and a lot of BS as to why they got embarrassed in the Super Bowl. I feel like Kansas City will win the game. I think that offense just showing how explosive that they are. Bengals are going to compete not as not as strongly as the Bills are. I think they start to really, you know, they, they realize where they're at when it's all said and done. They're going to turn around and know that, OK, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet. I'd say the Chiefs will win the game. I think the Chiefs, they should cover seven uh, and the over under 54 and a half. I feel like this is actually going to be something a little quieter. I think it's going to be I'm going to go under and I'm going to say Chiefs. 31 to 21. So a nice 10-point cushion there. So Chiefs 31, Bengals 21, Chiefs cover the 7, and I'll go under the 54.5 just by a little, 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 little bit. I know everybody thinks those offenses are going to blow the roof off, but uh, I think the coaching staffs are going to tighten up the ship a little bit, and it's going to be a very – it'll be competitive for a while, but then I think Chiefs will just hit the gas and blow right past them.
0: Cincinnati has been kind of a shock to me, honestly, in the postseason. I had them beating the Raiders, but last week I I picked Tennessee. But that Tennessee defense was pretty tough, obviously held the Bengals to, to 19 points. But despite giving up a playoff record, nine sacks to Tennessee, the Bengals were able to turn Tennessee over three times. Like you said, those three interceptions and that final interception was what sealed it for them. So I think the... Chiefs, obviously, if you remember the beginning of the season, the Chiefs struggled with turnovers early. They had 19 turnovers in their first eight games. But since then, they've had only seven, including both games in the playoffs. So the Chiefs have started to, not started to, but they figured out where they were, where they needed to get to. And I think they've, they've gotten there. They've scored 42 points in both playoff games so far. Their offense looks like it's clicking. I think in order for the Bengals to have a shot at this, they're going to have to figure out a way to turn Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs over, uh, create some some fumbles, some interceptions. They're going to have to take some possessions away. They're also going to need more touchdowns from their offense. They've kicked four field goals in each of the first two games. And if, yeah, you know, as we saw this past weekend, field goals are not going to be enough to beat the Kansas City Chiefs you have to score touchdowns and you have to score uh, a bunch of them in, in order to keep up with the chiefs offense, especially the way it's looking, you know, recently, I like the chiefs in this game, just like you, I, I do expect them to cover as well. I think that Cincinnati while they can score and they have, you know, shown that they have the ability to, to throw the ball there, they're still mid pack. Uh, they were the seventh best passing team in the league during the regular season. But out of the 14 teams that made the playoff, they're actually only the sixth best best passing team in the playoffs so far. Now Tennessee's defense, uh, you know, again being pretty good defense, may have had something to do with that. But if you remember, Tennessee was really stout against the run, and all season was giving up passing yards. in the Bengals, uh, I think that they're going to struggle, like you said. That Kansas City's defense has been getting better. Their offense has seemed to, you know, find its its 2019 2020 uh, form once again. So I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. They're going to cover the spread. And I believe that they're going to go over that 54. I have the Chiefs winning this game 38 to 24. The NFC Championship game, San Francisco going to Los Angeles to take on the Rams. The 49ers are a three and a half point underdog in this game. And the over under is 46 and a half. I've been saying all year that I think the Rams are, you know, they've tooled up to make a Super Bowl run. And I think this is where it goes. Uh, I think this is, you know, obviously how the, the Rams sort of saw their season playing out. I think unfortunately they're running into a 49ers team that has beaten them twice already this season, but they say that it's really hard to beat the same team three times in a season. So that, that game in week 18, where the Niners came back and kicked a field goal in overtime to win it, to get themselves into the playoffs, I think gave them the confidence that they need to know that they, you know, that first game against the Rams was not a fluke. They beat them, you know, obviously again, in week 18, I believe that they have confidence and I know they have the confidence that they can beat them again uh, in this playoff game. I do, however, think that this is the moment that they, the Rams have not, their goal was not to win the division it was not to make the playoffs their goal going into the season and the reason that they signed guys like von miller and odell beckham was because they are they were poised to make a run at the super bowl and that's what they want and that's what they expect and i i just feel like almost like this is inevitable that they're going to to get into the super bowl i i'm not saying that they're going to win it but i think that I think that they're gonna do what they need to do to beat the 49ers this weekend. Uh, I do think it's gonna be a low scoring game. San Francisco has held two of the top offenses in football, the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers to 17 and 10 points in their two games. I do think that the 49ers defense is going to be ready for this game. I do think that they're gonna step up and they're gonna keep this game fairly low scoring. So I'm taking the Rams to win it 20 to 17. So that's the Rams straight up taking the 49ers with the three and a half. Cause I do think, like I said, they're going to keep it close and I'm going with the under on the 46 and a half, because I I do think this is going to be a, a battle of two defenses stocked with playmakers.
1: I'm going to disagree. Good. It's about time. (laughs) Well, last time I did last week, I was, I I pooped the bed and missed all four. were dead on with the Rams upsetting the bucks, but um uh, the now I know you said it's hard for a team to beat another team 3 times in one season. Dating back to 2019, San Francisco is 6 and 0 against those Los Angeles Rams. This season obviously a little different quarterback under center, the result was 31-10 Niners when they hosted back in November and then just to finish out the season to get into the playoffs the Niners Upset the Rams at the Rams in overtime 27 to 24. Keeping up with the, the Rams yesterday and, and it, for all intents and purposes, that game was over long before the, the final whistle blew, but they miss a field goal. And within a matter of minutes, literally minutes, Tom Brady's engineering yet another fourth quarter comeback and had them completely on the ropes. Unfortunately, on defense, they decided to bring the house. And I'm going to say Cooper Cup, he's pretty good. Uh, So I I think that you leave him. Yeah. yeah, I think he had an okay season out there. He, uh, you know, just takes out a safety and blows right by him. And you you can't do that. That's a big play. The Rams could have easily lost that game the way everything came down. Uh, Niners, just like kind of like the Bengals, playing with a little bit of house money right now. Uh, yeah, to go into Dallas and beat them. Uh, you know, Dallas beat themselves a little bit. To go into Green Bay in Snow Lambo Field in the frozen tundra, and to beat the uh, you know God's gift to quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers. Because yeah, your your special teams just had to be better than theirs. They're they're finding ways to win. I feel like this is one of those games, and I do agree. Yes, the low score I think is definitely going to be a a grindy uh physical, you know, all the all the things you want to say about it, not as high flying as the other two teams will. Uh both good defenses, both good offenses, uh to the right. And for some reason, I just feel like even the way it was on uh on Saturday when the Niners upset the Packers, that you know, everybody rips Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I've done it a few times myself. And the guy throws picks at bad times. I get it. For some reason, the guy also wins football games. This is uncharted territory for Matthew Stafford. This is NFC Championship game. He's never been this far in the playoffs before. Has had moments of looking shaky this season, throwing picks and things like that. Didn't do too hot, really, against the Rams. Three touchdowns in that last game. He also threw two picks. And and again, that led to to that. And we did see Stafford down the stretch from fantasy purposes, kind of start to throw a lot of interceptions, whether he was forcing balls in there. Now, the Rams tried to write the ship with a little bit of more of a running game. They didn't use it a whole lot yesterday, but they didn't have to. But I like the Niners 19 to 16. So the Niners, and if you obviously take the three points, it's up to you. But I like the Niners straight up. And we're going to have a rematch of two years ago. Chiefs Niners and the Niners were nine minutes away from winning the Super Bowl. And then the wheels fell off the wagon. And Pat Mahomes and them. Danced around on the field. I take the Niners, and I do like the under as a nineteen to sixteen.
0: You know, I didn't even think about the uh, the whole Chiefs Niners revenge narrative there. I, I kind of put that game out of my mind. But now that you're bringing that up, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the better Super Bowls in recent yeah. history where. It did look like, and I, and I honestly, that year, I thought there was no way that the Niners could lose that Super Bowl. I thought their defense was just incredible. They I thought beat their offense everybody. Was, yeah. Remember, they were I remember them people.
1: was NFC Championship. Remember, they slapped Green Bay around pretty hard. and was yeah. like, wow, these guys are good. And mm-hmm. yeah, they gave the Chiefs everything. And then just suddenly in that fourth quarter, it just kind of all just drifted mm-hmm. away real quick and they couldn't get it back. Pat Mahomes
0: did what he did to Buffalo this past weekend. Basically, mm-hmm. he just made magic happen. All right, so those are our picks for the AFC and NFC championship games. We're going to jump into our quarterbacks, our quarterback rankings for the preseason. We uh, obviously, as with any anybody who you know puts themselves out there, puts their rankings out there, puts you know their thoughts and opinions out there. Obviously, when it comes to fantasy football, you're not going to get everything right. You, as a matter of fact, you're probably going to get more wrong than you get right. Uh, but I think part of the process of getting better at what we do is going back and reviewing what we did, finding out maybe where we went wrong and, and where we made our mistakes or, or maybe where uh, we went right and looking at you know maybe some repeatable situations in the future. So we're going to take a look at our quarterbacks, see where we ranked them, see where they ended up finishing, and then sort of talk a little bit about uh, you know maybe why we were on, why we were off on some of these guys. So we're going to start with Tom Brady, and we're going to do these in order of of finish, so that we're just kind of going down the, the line here. Tom Brady finished as the overall quarterback two points per game. He was also the quarterback two. He was drafted on average uh, at the six hundred eight in in fantasy drafts in the preseason. I had him at QB eight. Scott, you had him at QB eleven. Uh, where do you? What are you thinking about uh, where we ranked them in the preseason or where you ranked them in the preseason? I'll, I'll give my own uh, take on them.
1: I, I I mean, I think, you know, I think you and I will have some similarities with it. It's, you know, another year older, uh, a lot of younger guys that are sliding up, you know, in, in the preseason, like you're, you're looking at you and I had a consensus number one, overall Kyler Murray. And again, he was on a points-per-game level. Obviously, he was right up there, but when it came to missing about a month with injury and then looking lackluster in the back end of the season, that that just kind of drug him down. Thinking that some of these guys are going to slide up Brady, maybe they rely a little bit more on that running game to kind of help them balance that offense out at the end of the year. Remember, they were they were struggling a little bit. They didn't win their division last year some people were questioning that offense early on. They had lost to Chicago. Uh, I believe that was a Monday night game. Uh, New Orleans swept them last year, took the division and everybody thought, oh, maybe it's not quite working. Then they turned around and balanced it out. So maybe then Brady's not leaned on as much. And nope, uh, to say he was leaned on, obviously, again, he he, uh, finishes number two overall. And then if you really look, and take a deeper dive just in the passing stats alone. Josh Allen takes him out at number one, but he does run a little bit. He closed in on uh, almost 800 yards. Brady himself, though, threw for 5,300 yards and 43 touchdowns. And, I mean, again, the guy just doing it year after year after year after year after year. You're just waiting for that, you know, especially in fantasy football, Pat. You know more than I do. It's like you're waiting for the regression to happen. And, you know, just like Pat Mahomes when he threw for his 5,000 yards – yeah, he regressed to like 46, 4,800. So it's like it's still pretty damn good. It's not really hurting anybody. Yeah, I just thought he was gonna kind of, you know, coming back off a of Super Bowl second year. Maybe they lean on the running game a little bit more and his stats just aren't there. But yeah, uh guy proves it again that he's he's that guy. Yeah,
0: definitely was the age for me, um, as well as one of the other guys that we're gonna get into in this segment. Dak Prescott, I felt like the Tampa Bay defense is sort of what stepped up and and sort of, I don't want to say single handedly won them the Super Bowl last year, but their their defense being what it was mm-hmm. was a big part of that Super Bowl run for them. So I thought coming into this season that you know the defense was going to be good. Like you said, they were going to run the ball a little bit more. They weren't going to need Brady to throw as much. Yeah, the weapons were still there, obviously. But I just felt like they're not going to have to score as much if they're only giving up, you know, 13, 20 points a game somewhere in that neighborhood. But as it turned out, they're, they're passing. Now, they lost a lot of players in the secondary, but their passing defense was ranked near the bottom of the league for the entire season, pretty much. So the fact that they were giving up so many points and that they had to come back in those games. That sort of is what set up this run for Brady to where, you know, in order for them to win games, he was gonna have to be Brady. He was gonna have to throw the ball and he was gonna have to score points. And I think that's sort of exactly uh what happened. And and it's not something that many people saw coming. There was there was some fantasy analysts out there who had Brady ranked a little bit higher than than we did, but I don't think anybody had him ranked at number two overall. And definitely, you know, at age 43, I think it was when he went into the season. I don't think anybody could have seen a season this good coming, but next year, you know, if, if Tom decides to come back and play again, we'll take a look at at his weapons, take a look at the team around him, and see if we can, you know, put him in the right spot. But uh, this year we definitely missed a little bit on him. And uh, as did most people, I think, you know, the, the average draft position of him in the, at the end of the sixth round kind of shows that, there's not many people, there was guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen going in the second and third. I think if, if anybody knew that Brady was going to be this good, obviously he would have been going up in, the, in that range as well. So uh, that was kind of a miss for the fantasy community as a whole, miss for us, but obviously we'll try to try to improve and, and uh, make a better call on him next year if he decides to come back.
1: Yeah, that's one of the whispers I think right now is that, you know, and they're doing that with everything, you know, oh, is he coming back? Is this, you know, that. Try to spin the narrative every year
0: for Tom Brady until his, this is this his to,
1: last game? Yeah. I don't see you know, In a side note with Brady, I don't see him hanging it up the way it ended. I think he's
0: too proud to
1: oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, he, he wants to try to get all 10 fingers locked up, you know. <laughs> he's like gollum when it comes to the damn rings. But no, I mean all kidding aside, of he he does have that overly competitive nature where you know to go out again, you're you're not gonna leave the gym on a miss. And this was, okay, you were down a lot of weapons. You know, your defense wasn't as strong as they were last year. You you did everything you could to try to engineer that comeback. And then again, you, your, your defense gets smoked at the worst possible time. I still feel like they should have won that game. It's the fact that you see Cup just break loose and, and again he's in one-on-one coverage against the safety who their secondary all season has been suspect and they have lost games because of that uh those linebackers and that defense up front couldn't get to stafford a lot i mean they got to him here and there but not the way they were they weren't as dominant like you said as last year that between their dominant defense and kansas city having i think they were down both tackles last year mm-hmm. going into the super bowl and then mahomes had the foot injury so he wasn't as mobile uh, that turned into, you know, a bit of a, a tough game to say the least for them. Yeah, I, I don't see him hanging it up. I, I see him coming back for, you know, maybe do a one-year deal with them. I don't see him going anywhere else unless somebody, you know, schmoozes them but goes somewhere. But I, I think he's set in Tampa Bay. He might do another two-year deal or something like that.
0: All right. So the next quarterback we're gonna talk about is Dak Prescott. He finished the season as the overall quarterback seven. QB 6 on a points-per-game basis. He was going in the fifth round, uh, 5.05, uh, his average draft position. I had him ranked as the QB 4. You had him down at QB 14. I was obviously really high on Prescott this year because of the start that he had last year before his ankle injury. Uh, A few key additions on defense helped Dallas not be as bad defensively as as they were last year. And ultimately, I think that's what sort of kept Dak from finishing maybe even higher than the QB6. But I think that they had the weapons. CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper did not necessarily finish as high as, and you know, we'll get into that in our wide receiver breakdown. They didn't finish as high as, as we had expected, but Dalton Schultz stepped up. And Michael Gallup, when he was healthy, stepped up. Cedric Wilson had a couple of really huge games for Dallas. So Prescott was still you know, out there. He was still throwing the ball. At a a pretty decent clip as far as attempts per game, I do think that the Cowboys, once they sort of realized how good of a back Tony Pollard was, that sort of scaled things down a little bit. But Dallas was the top offense in the league this year. Most points, most touchdowns, most yards. So as far as my call on Dak Prescott being a top five quarterback... Maybe he didn't necessarily finish in the top five, but he finished close enough, and their offense was what I thought it was going to be, which was going to be a you know a top four or five offense in the league. So I feel like in this case, I was, I don't want to say dead on with Dak Prescott, but I was pretty darn close to to picking him, you know, where he finished in, in the league this year.
1: I think when we did do everything, if I if I'm looking back, looking back at my notes from the preseason here, you can hear the pages rustling around looking at his stats and i remember going over this in the beginning was that last year with the injury that he had you know it was obviously a very severe injury and, and things of that nature to see him coming back this season he was not uh, coming in like training camp and, and things there were there were concerns over obviously making sure his legs were good but his shoulder from maybe overcompensating because he couldn't plant correctly little bits of discomfort, things like that. And and that's where I think, you know, that's what kind of had me like thinking, maybe not, you know, maybe he's not going to make it back this year as strong as he was. Cause again, last year when he got hurt, you know, if you average out his numbers, he was on pace for like 6,000 yards passing, which in this league nowadays you can probably do. I mean, Brady (laughs) had 5,300. So he was, he was knocking on the door. But no, I mean, you know, you, you saw him and he was going to have a special season. And he had that railroaded by the uh, by, by a pretty tough injury. I didn't expect him to be as functional for as as much of the season as he was. I mean, even and there's always the joke about him, empty stat stack that, you know, no matter what, he always fills up a score sheet. And for fantasy football, that's totally fine. That's what you want. You don't care if they win or lose. You want to see him throw for four or five hundred yards. I mean, he came out first game of the season and he threw for 403 and three touchdowns in a very tight loss, but, but shoulda, woulda, coulda won against those Tampa Bay Bucks, the defending champs. So those were some of the things. I mean, for me, it was the biggest injury worry of, of, is he going to make it right back to where he was? Maybe he loses a step. He doesn't get to be as, as mobile as he had been before with his legs, you know, when it comes to rushing with the football and yeah, he wasn't quite, but uh, he still picked up uh, you know, a decent amount of rushing yards, comfortable stuff. But, I mean, his overall passing numbers were were top 10s for everything. Uh, he did lose some fumbles, and that's something he's also been been pretty good at. Uh, looking back, he was tied for the league lead with six. So you figure that's 12 additional points, probably, depending on how your league goes. The, yeah, that would have pushed him past Matt Stafford in our league of record as far as the, the QB. So he would have went he would have been QB six instead of QB seven. So he really did have a, a great season. I just, I really felt that the injury was going to be a lot to come back with. Maybe first half of the season, they start to get their legs under them a little bit, literally. And and he's comfortable uh, doing what he was. Plus Ezekiel Elliott was hurt a lot this year and between Pollard and stuff like that, they, they leaned a lot more on the passing game. So having those wide receivers, you can do that.
0: Yeah. Before we jump into our next quarterback, just want to remind everybody that we use, the six point per passing touchdown stat. So, you know the the guys that are these rushing quarterbacks don't necessarily have as much of a leg up because of that rushing ability in our league. Because you know guys like Brady who throw forty three touchdowns, uh, you know obviously are, are keeping pace with guys uh, like this next guy that we're going to talk about who who passed for I believe twenty six and ran for ten. So. Um, excuse me, passed for 16, ran for 10, had 26 total touchdowns. So, you know, just be aware that depending on your scoring system, some of the, the uh, you know, placements that we put out may be a little bit different than what you have in your home league. But for, for us specifically, we use six point passing touchdowns in our league. So, with that being said, the next quarterback that we're going to talk about is Jalen Hurts. He finished as the QB 10, QB 11 on a points per game basis. He was drafted at the end of the eighth round, typically eight, 12. I had him ranked as QB 11 going into the season. Scott, you had him up at QB 5. And I think the reason that I didn't necessarily love him as much as you did is basically what I said in the preseason was his passing accuracy. His ability to throw the ball is kind of what held him back from being a top five quarterback this year. Although his 61.3% completion percentage was a lot better than the 52% completion percentage that we saw in that, short sam- that small sample size last year. His pass attempts went down to twenty nine point one pass attempts per game, um, which was the fewest amongst all starters in the NFL this year. The Eagles obviously ran the ball a ton; uh, they did not throw the ball as much as as other teams. They they were actually the the fewest pass attempts in the league total. You know, I think that obviously hurt, especially in our league. Again, like we just said, with the six point passing touchdowns, it hurt Jalen Hurts a little bit because obviously he's not. The type of guy who, at least this year, I didn't see him throwing for north of 25 touchdowns. I did not honestly see him running for 10 either, but I, I did see you know maybe six or seven rushing touchdowns, which which he eclipsed obviously with with 10. So um, he did a little bit better in the rushing department, leading all quarterbacks in in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. But again, it the passing is the part that still scares me about Jalen Hurts and and moving forward. After the draft and free agency and seeing who the Eagles bring in as far as, you know, pass catchers, you know, that, that may sway me to move him up a little bit in my in my rankings, but well, he's still well below the league average with his completion percentage. As good as Devontae Smith is, he's a small receiver, so it's very hard. The guy gets open, but you, you got to put the ball right on him. And I'm not saying Hurts is a bad passer. I'm just saying, you know, we saw in that playoff game, I'm not putting that on him against the bucks the, the bucks just came out and and destroyed them from start to finish but there were definitely times where i noticed him making the wrong reads and the wrong calls and i'm not saying that that's something that he can't get better at obviously quarterbacks as they mature and progress through their career they learn more and more about you know reading defenses and things like that i think if if hurts is going to be a guy who sticks around and a guy who is consistently a you know top fantasy scorer top 10 fantasy quarterback he's going to have to get better as a passer and if he doesn't i don't think that he's going to have a job for for much longer if you know we look at lamar jackson and we kind of compare the two jackson you know rushes the ball for you know he had thousand rushing yards two years ago and his mvp year was when he actually started to throw the ball well and had his completion percentage up around 68% you know, through the ball for 20 plus passing touchdowns. So I think in order for Jalen Hurts to become an elite level type quarterback in the NFL, he has to work on that passing game. And I think he will, but I also think that he needs some some better people to throw to. I think that um as good as Devontae Smith is, as good as you know, Dallas Goddard is, it it's it's not enough for them to overcome uh his inability, at least at this point in his career, to read defenses and, and make the correct throws in the correct situations
1: yeah uh, I had them higher figuring okay passing wise there is a knock on accuracy reading defenses but for only throwing for 3,100 yards that's that's pretty bad I I mean as far as being like you know competent quarterback in the league when you look at again Brady throws for 5,300 and you're Two thousand yards plus behind him, like that's that's a lot. Just in a in a gap from the top position to there. The Eagles did change their offense right around like uh, first third of the season. They they saw that trying to run something a little more college based uh, dynamically that they were giving him to run, and that was also you're, he's on his second coaching staff in two years. I uh, kind of get thrown into starting his rookie season, and so this was really his first full season. He is only twenty three years old. Uh, going on 24. So he's he's still a very young player, young individual as a whole. All the intangibles are there. And the running ability, he did lead the NFL for rushing by quarterbacks with 784 yards. And that was on the back end of the season when he did also have, a, almost like Kyler Murray, had a high ankle sprain that they kind of babied a little bit. He missed a couple games. Minshew got in there. Uh, he led the league in rushing touchdowns by quarterbacks with 10 Obviously, that's not going to win you uh, a Super Bowl. It's not going to get you into the playoffs consistently. Uh, it's knowing when to run, but being a better passer overall as a quarterback. So uh, I thought maybe with the legs, obviously, I, I had him pegged for somewhere around there, but I, I'm thinking he was going to get, just looking back, I think I had him down for closer to thirty six, thirty seven hundred 3,700 yards, uh, you know, based on estimates and, and looking at other numbers. So, you know, when you're when you're missing, Six hundred yards, 500 yards there. Uh, that's that's a big jump. So he's floating around with Russell Wilson, who missed a large part of the season in passing yards. Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson was out a lot. Bridgewater missed time. Uh, Jared Goff was out and and again, that offense was a dumping offense too. He gets those yards back. He's closing in on something a little more tangible. Uh, and obviously, it's going to help his points for his finish on the season based on yards uh, with some bonuses possibly thrown in and, and things like that. Now, the Eagles addressed that in the offseason by adding more weapons. That's always the talk. Uh, we're going to get more. But Hurts overall. Uh, yeah, I, I was expecting a little bit a little bit more uh, of a, a stronger finish for for him. But I, I'm pleased with what he has. But, yeah, he's got to pick up the passing game or else it's just just not going to work. Speaking of something that worked. Oh yeah, I missed some, and Pat misses some. We hit on some. One guy that I was a little bit higher on than you, Pat, and got close to uh, to there actually beat my prognostication. And and again, you had him at twenty-eight. I had him at sixteen. Finishes the QB twelve, averaged about seventeen, almost eighteen points a game. uh, Finished seventeenth in points per game. Finish. I'd be that Derek Carr from the Los. Vegas Raiders part of the reason I, that I was higher on him again, you had him way down there. So I'm sure you're going to share what you thought was, uh, the reasons to have him ranked below, you know, uh, a, a lot of different players out there was that he finished pretty strong. He actually had one of his best. He actually had his best season, uh, in 2020, you saw parts of that offense starting to really come together. You had Darren Waller, you had, uh, Henry Ruggs, you had uh, Josh Jacobs. You you had a lot of different things going on, and you figured they were going to get better. Obviously, this year capped off with a playoff run that ended quickly, and they kind of snuck into the playoffs, so to speak. Uh, with with you know they 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 controlled their own destiny. Yes, they they did what what needed to be done there. But when it came to came to him overall, I, I really felt that that offense was going to get a lot more dynamic. Maybe give. A considerable amount of of problems to you know the Chiefs, the Chargers, and and the beginning of the season they really did like you know he came out he threw for four thirty five three eighty two three eighty six right off the bat three wins three and zero and I remember you and I talking uh, one of our one of our podcasts about wow they they kind of look like a legit team uh, you know you got to be careful with them they they might start to really turn it on and then kind of fell off lost back to back games uh, really threw the ball poorly in those games, and then had a little bit of a stretch down the end of the season where he just had a lot of trouble getting things going. But they won their last four games and made the playoffs. I feel like Derek Carr is just one of those guys that he's a good quarterback. He really is. It's just that he's really always been in a tough situation, you know, Oakland, Las Vegas, whatever you want to call him, the Raiders as a whole, where he's another guy where they don't put a ton of weapons. Like Darren Waller was a a scrappy project guy that John Gruden picked up off the Ravens who had, you know, some substance abuse issues and looked like one of those guys who could bounce right out of the league. You know, the quarterback getting him the football turns him into a fantasy football darling, you know, and he was hurt a lot this season. You had Henry Ruggs. We all know what happened, unfortunately, with him and his situation. You lost that second year dynamic receiver. That That's a killer for that quarterback and then for him to still be able to do what he did where he was fifth in passing yards, threw for 23 touchdowns. Uh, another knock on him is, again, turnovers, where he threw 14 interceptions. He also lost five fumbles. So when you look at the amount of points that he gives back there from a fantasy standpoint, he actually could have been higher than 12. He, he was arguably almost a top 10 for total points, but his average had him outside the top 15. Um, again, I, I just felt like this year was going to maybe be that year for him to to break through and, and become – not elite, but but definitely a, a a bona fide top ten quarterback, and and again for the most part he was right around that, and, and hopefully uh, hopefully continues it. Hopefully continues it with the Raiders, but they they got to get him some help too.
0: You know, going into the season, I didn't see, you know, I saw the Raiders as a sort of a. a they signed Kenyon Drake. They had Josh Jacobs. They had Darren Waller. I felt like going into the season that their offense was going to be a little bit more run heavy. They were going to use Waller more in those two tight end sets where they sort of got a, a run look out there, and then you know sort of leaked Waller out into into pass routes and and sort of work things that way. Because I really didn't see. I had heard about the talent on the outside, but we hadn't seen anything really from Henry Ruggs in his rookie season, we hadn't seen anything from Brian Edwards, uh, you know, again, except for hype from training camp, uh, about how he looked like, you know, TO and all this nonsense. Zay Jones, obviously, you know, drafted highly by the bills and then, you know, sort of didn't do anything. So I really didn't see a whole lot of talent in their receiving core, at least a, a lot of, I shouldn't say talent. There was, there's a lot of talent on the receiving core. They just hadn't turned it into anything. Henry Ruggs, obviously, you know, unfortunately for him, like you said, you know, had that that DUI and, you know, it's a shame what what has kind of become of him. But he, I think this was, he was starting to have a breakout season. He was starting to become that number one receiver that, you know, the Raiders kind of expected and hoped for him to be. And things just fell apart. The whole thing was, you know, Gruden losing his job. It's just, you know, it was a tough season for, for Derek Carr. Um, I had him ranked down very low, 28, uh, again, just because I, I didn't see the, the Raiders really being a passing offense. And I didn't think that they could win games in that division in that kind of way. Like I felt like in order for them to beat those high-powered offenses like Kansas City, like the Chargers, I felt like they were going to have to play a little bit more of a ball control offense. They were going to have to run the ball, play good defense in order to compete. And I was wrong. I mean, it, obviously... I, I don't really doubt Derek Carr's talent. I just sort of doubted the situation that he was in. And and uh, obviously I will have him ranked higher next year because I do think that regardless of, of the situation that he ends up in, he's a scrapper and a fighter and he's a guy who he, you're, you're right. He's going to make some boneheaded throws. At, you know, the 14 interceptions was the most he's thrown in his career, but they made the playoffs. You know what I mean? They made the playoffs and the chargers didn't because of, because of that week 18 game. So to sort of sleep on Derek Carr, I think was a, a a bad mistake on my part. I still don't necessarily think he's going to be a guy that anybody's going to be looking to draft maybe late in those double digit rounds. Possibly he'll be getting drafted. But I do think that like he was this year, I think he'll be a, a viable streaming option and good matchups next year. And I think that, you know, I'll definitely have him ranked a lot higher than than I did this year, obviously, and a lot higher than than some of the other guys who, you know, that are just Turned out to not really be
1: very good at all. Yeah, you you had him ranked behind Daniel Jones.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To my credit, I think when Daniel Jones got hurt, I think he was a high. He was. Yeah, he was. was He was kicking ass and taking
1: names. Only because Daniel
0: Jones runs the ball. And I figured the Giants would be down and having to chuck the ball. I thought the Raiders defense would be a little bit better. But yeah, I
1: know. I know.
0: We all make mistakes. Okay. All right. Hey. Speaking of mistakes, the next quarterback we're going to talk about, Ryan Tannehill. Oh, uh, God. (laughs) Finished finished as the QB 14 overall, QB 19 on a points per game basis. He was drafted on average in the seventh round, 702. You and I both had him ranked as the number nine quarterback. And uh, I'll let you take this one first as to to why you had him at nine. And then I'm I'm probably just going to go, uh-huh, when you're done.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I think the agreement will just chime in. I wasn't as high on AJ Brown, but I knew he was still going to be a good wide receiver this year. They added Julio Jones. So you're looking and thinking, my gosh, this guy has some targets to really throw to. Maybe they sprinkle in a third wide receiver. They had signed Josh Reynolds from the Rams. I thought maybe he could turn into something. He actually got released and ended up doing better with Detroit, ironically. But no, Tannehill as a whole, like you, you saw that whole career rejuvenation move into the Titans. Now you're giving them an extra weapon, and you obviously know the running game is there to supplant everything else for that offense. But I just, that, that was really it for me was thinking, oh, yeah, this guy's going to throw for 4,500 yards, 30 some touchdowns. Like, yeah, they're going to be, I, they were still the number one seed, the Tennessee Titans, and he didn't have a horrible season but it was nowhere near and, and a lot of that came into play because between A.J. Brown and Julio Jones missing time uh, at times both were out and you were licking you were licking you were living with uh, Nick Westbrook Akiné and, and some different guys that were out there uh, Chester Rogers uh, just trying to make it week to week and you had already lost that running back so if to Tennessee's credit, they you know, for them to still put together what they did, yeah. Tannehill didn't have a lot maybe to go to on certain weeks, and obviously, we just saw that little bit of a meltdown in the playoffs. But yeah, I, I expect bigger and better things for him than, than 14. I would have thought at least the top 10. And yeah, I think that's where you and I were both thinking, yeah, definitely look at what he's got to throw to, and that's it. So, I, th- I think you agree. <laughs>
0: Yeah. For the most part, the only thing I wanted to add was, uh, you know, I, I did all this research, so I just wanted to throw some numbers at you. The first six games of the season, he was only completing 63.3% of his passes, which, you know, we just talked about Jalen hurts and his completion percentage being down in the, in the low sixties. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I think that the Titans maybe had intentions of going into the season, throwing the ball a little bit more, uh, looking at the the first four games of the season, he was, he was averaging 33 and a half, 34 plus pass attempts per game. And then sort of like, as they started to realize like, okay, this approach is not working because they had lost, you know, they were two and two after their first four games. I think that at that point they were like, all right, we, we got Derrick Henry, we got this good offensive line we need to run the ball. Uh, and and I think that Ryan Tannehill's inefficiency sort of helped push them in that direction to, to have them run the ball a little bit more. But I think the biggest thing as far as, you know, what held down his fantasy value this year was his touchdown to interception ratio. Last year, he only had 481 pass attempts, but he threw 33 touchdowns and only had seven interceptions. This year, he had 531 pass attempts, so 50 more attempts, but threw 12 less touchdowns and twice as many interceptions as he did last year and i think the biggest thing you know and as as we saw in that playoff game last you know this past sunday the interceptions i think is what killed him in miami he threw quite a few you know interceptions and and you know back then their offense was pretty bad but since he had come to tennessee he'd never thrown double digit interceptions in a single season uh he had actually only thrown 13 interceptions in 2019 and 2020 combined and then he jumped up to 14 this year so i don't necessarily think that Tannehill isn't, I'm not going to have him ranked at QB 14 or 19 or, where, you know, wherever he finished this year. Uh, coming into next year, I do think that he's going to learn from these mistakes. I do think that he's he's going to figure out, hey, I need to, you know, n- not take these chances, not throw the ball into, you know, double coverage, not, you know, force things when they're not there. Ryan Tannehill is never going to be Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. He can, however, be. A good version of Ryan Tannehill, which I think will allow the Tennessee Titans to, once again, make a playoff run next year, uh, assuming that they can keep together most of their defense, which has been pretty solid this year, and they can keep those offensive pieces, which AJ Brown, Derek Henry and Julio Jones are all under contract for next year. So I do think that next year, uh, maybe I'm not going to hype Tannehill up as much as, as I did this year but I do think that he's still going to be in that top 10 to 12 quarterback range next year, as far as projections go, it's just a matter of him not turning the ball over and, and, you know, maybe them throwing for a few more touchdowns and, and not handing it off to Derek Henry. All right. So let's jump into our tight ends. Now we're going to do QB and tight end together. It's two of the smaller positions. So uh, we got time to kind of throw both of them together. We're going to start with Rob Gronkowski. He was the overall the tight end seven, tight end three on a points per game basis. And he was being drafted at the 905. You and I had him ranked as the 14th best tight end on the board. We were we were way off on that one. I'll go ahead and jump in on this one first. So for Gronk, you know, like Brady, I kind of assumed that Gronk's age would start to affect his ability to produce. And like Brady, I assumed wrong. Gronk was the guy in Brady's eyes, especially in the red zone. He had 12 targets, six catches, five touchdowns in the red zone. He was tied for eighth in red zone targets per game and fourth in total targets per game at the tight end position. Now, he did miss a couple games, which is why his points per game is at three and, and his overall finishes at seven. But when he was in there, it was clear that he was Brady's guy. I mean, Brady was looking for him early and often. I think as long as those two are on the same team, they're going to continue to connect. And I think if if Brady leaves or Brady comes back and Gronk follows him or, Bronk, or Gronk comes back to Tampa Bay, I mean, I think you have to draft him as a top six, seven tight end again next year. I don't think that these guys are going to come back and play again if they don't feel like they can compete. And if they feel like they can compete, they're the only two guys that matter because Brady's the one throwing the ball and Gronk is the one catching it. So unless Gronk's skill just completely diminishes, which I don't see happening, he's again, you know, again, if he comes back next year and, and he's with Brady, he's a top probably six tight end for B again next year.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think that, yeah, he, he's always been like one of the top guys. I mean, no matter what you, no matter what you say at that position. So everybody expect it when he kind of came back and, you know, he wasn't maybe quite as heavily, heavily dominant, I guess, you know, as, as he had been or, or, or something to those lines. But I mean, yeah, when you turn around and the guy still continuously puts up the numbers that he does year after year, and then seeing that Brady totally just loves him. Yeah. It, like it's his guy. I mean, you look at some of the bigger plays yesterday that were even made in that game and that's, that's one where I think you're, you you know that he's leaning on that player. You know that he's looking for him in that time of need. Mike Evans is there too. That that kind of helps. You look at just Gronk as a whole. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really look like he missed much of a much of a beat when it came to came to things. And it's going to be a player that he totally relies on year in and year out uh, until the two of them. They'll probably walk it off together. You know, to see him finish, you know, basically seventh in a position that it's gotten a lot more competitive. Uh, it's not just one or two guys now. You are looking at a solid eight to ten fantasy relevant tight ends, uh, you know, year after year. But knowing that he's still one of them and still one of the best ones at that position, yeah, you know, as long as Tom's there with him, I, I think you, you can't go wrong with with taking Gronk. Uh, it's a, it's almost like a no brainer.
0: So the next tight end that we're going to talk about is sort of flip-flop with Gronk. He was overall a tight end three, finished as a tight end six on a points-per-game basis. The difference between him and Gronk, though, was that he was completely undrafted coming into the season. We're talking about Dalton Schultz. Uh, You and I also did not rank him. We both both ranked Blake Jarwin uh, on Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Both of us ranked Dalton Schultz. And, um, you know, for me, with Blake Jarwin returning from his injury... And all of the weapons that Dallas already had at the wide receiver and running back positions, I just kind of saw Schultz as like this guy who was going to get maybe one or two targets per game and not really do anything, mostly a blocking tight end, especially considering the fact that you know Jarvin was hurt last year, Dak got hurt last year. So it's not like Prescott sort of built this rapport with Dalton Schultz. Now, maybe the Cowboys realized what they had in Schultz because he did have a pretty decent last year, even with a bunch of backup quarterbacks. But there was no relationship between Dak and Schultz. And so I kind of thought like coming into this year that Blake Jarwin was going to be the guy that Prescott looked for and Schultz was kind of going to be an afterthought. Obviously, you know, way off on that one. But even still, I didn't have Blake Jarwin ranked anywhere near the top 10. So I was even off on, you know, how good of fantasy asset a tight end and the Dallas offense could be
1: yeah i 100 percent agree i had no no idea that this guy was going to be fantasy relevant would never expect it just didn't see it coming they started you and he's one of the big reasons again that, that really helped that offense to be as dynamic as as they are just as a whole i don't get how somebody can come from that kind of relative obscurity to to where they're at now that quickly but Again, they, they made him a focal point of the offense and, and turned him into a, a player of some of the highest caliber. Again, you know, where he's basically finishing as a top five fantasy football tight end. And, you know, beginning of the year, nobody would have even thought, you know, you, you look at different injuries that affected certain players. Waller and them guys got Hawkinson getting knocked out. You saw some rookie step up, but he just came out of nowhere. Still amazed uh, that that it turned out the entire way that it did for him to to be that relevant and yeah, moving into next season, he's going to be definitely one of the guys that a lot of people shoot for uh, just overall. Um, yeah, one know. of those late
0: round tight ends where you know maybe you didn't you didn't cash like a a Kelsey or an Andrews or a, a Kittle or something like that, and you're like, oh, I'll be fine with Blake Jarwin. He you know finished as a top three guy last year or whatever. Yeah, I could definitely see him being one of those late tight end targets next year.
1: Yeah, I think that that is, that's a guy to look for, like you're saying, that that maybe people weren't expecting. Looking at a couple other guys, I mean, first off, uh, I think I ended up picking him up this year just to kind of give me a little bit of an assist, uh, and he ended up uh, finished as a top 10 tight end, missed a couple weeks with a busted hand. But Dawson Knox from the Buffalo Bills, uh, he was the guy, I think, that, I'm trying to remember if they had somebody else in place in the preseason that was supposed to be their tight end or not. But overall, I thought with the dynamic ability of the offense that they would try to get him involved. He did have uh, he did make a little bit of noise at the end of 2020 with that offense when they started really stepping stepping things up and, and moving into the uh, you know the upper echelon of, of pro football teams. It very touchdown dependent. I mean, I know a lot of people lean on that, but at the same time, for him to finish as strong as he did and and just, hey, if you're scoring the points, I think that's all that matters. Now, next year, everybody's thinking he's going to be a, a Robert Tanyan-style guy who's going to regress and not get the touchdowns, and that's going to drop him down the board. But he seems like he's been heavily used in the red zone more than anything. I mean, when you're looking at tight ends overall, obviously, again, he missed some games, but you're looking at one, two. He was, there was a big tie at two with 20, but he was third uh, with 19 red zone targets uh, for, for tight ends. So he's right up there with everybody. And with red zone, like with goal to go, uh, it was him and, and another guy that's going to get mentioned, Zach Ertz, that were the top two. So he's definitely, while he's touchdown dependent, the volume he's getting at the goal line isn't going to take away from anything. Now, Obviously, we saw Gabriel Davis. What do you have, four touchdowns yesterday? Yes. Yeah. i mean that that was a game probably mostly based on matchups and schemes and things like that uh knox had a, like a nice big catch or two there but they knew that they were going to key on him and, and things of that nature and obviously playoff game's a whole different animal so i think dawson knox next year is going to definitely be worthy i know pat you had him coming in i had him at 22 and obviously he he flew past me uh you had him at 31 so I guess you were probably thinking along the and yeah, you were probably thinking maybe along the same lines that he just wasn't going to be as involved in the offense.
0: Yeah, well I, I you know, I, I was a little bit higher on guys like you know, I thought Beasley was going to have another good season. He had a really good mm-hmm. season in 2020. Gabe Davis, you know, like we just talked about with the four touchdowns, mm-hmm. you know, there was there was some. Mm-hmm sort of preseason hype that he was going to sort of be the guy you know Manuel Sanders came in yeah as a free agent yeah that was one of had... the
1: big ones I think that knocked him down yeah. and
0: Sanders had a, a I mean probably like the first three weeks of the season four weeks of the season Sanders was you know he was one of the best draft day values out there he was killing it Isaiah McKenzie is there you know they, they kind of use him a little bit as a running back but also able to catch some passes. So I kind of thought that all of these other dynamic playmakers were going to have a little bit bigger role in this bill's offense, but it was obviously Knox who, you know, like you said, was the red zone guy. You mentioned the 19 red zone targets. He also had 71 total targets on the season as we've seen in the past. And, and, you know, we saw with, with Knox this year, especially if you have a tight end, who is going to get red zone usage who's going to catch somewhere in that neighborhood of 8 to 12 touchdowns if you can't get one of these top flight top tier tight ends those are the guys that you want to target in fantasy football drafts because they're the ones that are going to return value with those red zone you know those red zone targets are what they consider you know high value targets they're the ones that not only are going to net you that that point for the PPR but they're more than likely going to net you extra points with the probability that they catch a touchdown. So if, you're, if you find guys, especially at the tight end position, because we know that there's only a handful of guys that you're going to be drafting as elite tight ends, if you can find one of these guys like a Dalton Schultz, like a Dawson Knox, who are going to be valuable in the red zone to their, to their team, like a Rob Gronkowski, um, although Gronk is valuable all over the field, but if you can find these guys that are going to catch touchdowns, that's that's basically all, all you can do. I mean, if you look at the tight end landscape for many given week, a tight end could have two catches for 12 yards and a touchdown and finish as a top 12 tight end in that week because they just don't score a ton of fantasy points on a regular basis aside, again, from your top three or four guys, you know, your Kelseys and your Kittles and your guys who are getting eight to 10 to 12 targets a game. so. Yeah, I think guys like Knox are are fantasy gold if you can pick them up off of the waiver wire or draft them late in in your fantasy drafts. Let's move on to our last tight end that we're going to talk about. So it's only appropriate that as uh Eagles fans we end the show on a Zach Ertz discussion. He finished the season as a tight end six overall, a tight end 12 on a points per game basis. He was being drafted. In the fourteenth round, fourteen oh five. In some in some leagues, not at all. That's an obviously that's an average draft position. So some leagues he wasn't being drafted at all. Uh, I had him at tight end sixteen, which I thought was generous, even in the preseason. You had him all the way up at tight end eleven, and yes. uh, you know, like I said, he finished he finished right in there, tight end twelve on a points for game basis. So for me personally, part of my fade of Zach Ertz came of, with the presence of Dallas Goddard. I just felt like you know, that wasn't a position that shares fantasy points very well. Uh, part of it also came with the fact that, you know, as you well know, I didn't really trust Jalen Hurts's passing ability coming into the season. So I feel like I kind of got this one right at 16. So for as long as Hurts was on the Eagles, he averaged 8.2 points per game, which would have put him at tight end 19 on the season. I had him at tight end 16. Then obviously got traded to Arizona and averaged 12 points per game, which would have put him at tight end seven overall, actually above Dallas Goddard, who I think averaged like 11.7 or something like that. So for me, I feel like I was right on with the call. I didn't think there was enough volume to go around in Philadelphia for two tight ends. Uh, and, And for the fact that he was in Philadelphia or the, for the time that he was in Philadelphia, uh, I feel like I was I was pretty on with that. As soon as he got traded to Arizona, all bets were off. They needed pass catching help. DeAndre Hopkins had you know been struggling with injuries. You know obviously the the injury to Max Williams, the Cardinals start, starting tight end. he was he was doing fairly well while he was in there. and then you know when he went down and they traded for Zach Ertz, I'm like, well, Ertz, I still think is is you know probably more talented than Max Williams. I feel like he's going to, you know, have an even a bigger season there than um, he did and he like I said he finished um as a top 6 tight end overall top 12 points per game so you get to pat yourself on the back for that one but um uh, I feel like I feel like it's going to be interesting to see where Ertz ends up next year and where you know what what sort of I guess what he has left in the tank as far as his ability cuz it, it looked like this year it looked like he still had plenty in the tank so um, I'm optimistic. I still, as an Eagles fan, still love Zach Ertz. Uh, I wish him the best. I hope you know, that he has a ton of success wherever he goes. But uh, I'm going to be very interested, and in he's going to be a guy who, uh, once again, is going to be tough for me to rank going into next year, depending on where he ends up.
1: Yeah, uh, I didn't think he was done. Uh, that was probably like one of the biggest things. Now, I know there were a lot of whispers in training camp that he was lame duck, uh, contract. It was last year of his deal. And were the Eagles going to pay him? And obviously, yes, seeing Dallas Goddard basically being the heir apparent to him. Um, the one thing that I always noticed while Ertz had his couple of you know record seasons with, with over 100 receptions was that Goddard played very well as the Robin to his Batman. And I think the Eagles paid him, uh, Dallas Goddard, once they made the trade and everything uh, to be that guy. And he's shown flashes. Now, again, limited by quarterback play. That's probably a big part of it. But at the end of the day, I didn't think Ertz was done. He had a pretty bad injury last year. High ankle sprains are no joke. Uh, So he missed time. And right away, everybody, oh, Nope, he's done. He's done. His career's over. He's done. He's done. He's done. Everybody just wants to bury that whole team and that player and everything else. I mean, when you look at this season, just in the NFL alone this year, if you had to take a guess, Pat, just overall, just. Positional wise, uh, as far as as far as receiving. Where do you think Zach Ertz finished in, in in the league in receptions?
0: Are you talking about amongst all wide receivers and tight ends?
1: Every, everything, just receiving as a whole, right tight ends, wide receivers, running backs. Where, where do you think he finished?
0: Um, well, like I said, I I I think you know, so he played what six games with the Eagles. So that leaves what eleven with the Cardinals. So I'm gonna say overall. Um, uh, do you want like a number, like a like yeah, like where did where, where did he
1: rank? I guess to say as far as receptions,
0: receptions. Okay. Um, I would say that he probably ranked somewhere around forty-five to fifty in receptions on the season. 29th. Wow.
1: Yeah. Uh, ahead of Mike Evans, ahead of T Higgins, ahead of Marvin Jones, George Kittle at the same position. I know he was, he was banged up. Now you're getting in the first running back. I see here is Austin Eckler at 37th. Uh He was ahead of Amari Cooper. He was ahead, like, that's, and a lot of that did come, like you're saying, and it was just on both sides. Like he did have some Games with the Eagles, where I think he had the one where where he didn't do too bad. He almost looked like the old Zach Ertz. It was right before they traded him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, caught sixty six percent of his passes. He's not a no fumbles. He's always been sure handed. We we know that for sure. To me, that's that's kind of where he was when he was with the Eagles. He was that safety valve kind of guy. Where you know, it always had the joke was. No yak, Zach, because yeah, he would catch the ball and fall down, but he made all the big catches and he didn't have to do anything. And he got you the first downs and, and he did
0: all his running before he caught the ball.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He got <laughs> it to the ball and then caught it and fell down. And then you yeah, to look at him just in his own position, you know, where he's still hanging around with the top dogs in that, in that position. And you figure he's probably out there. Okay. He's going to be a free agent. He's probably going to stay, maybe re up with another one or two year deal with them. Um, getting a little more comfortable in that offense. Obviously, again, yeah, losing DeAndre Hopkins really limited them. And then the quarterback being, you know, on a bad wheel to end the season didn't help either. Uh, And they had other injuries too with the offensive line and stuff. So seeing Zach Ertz possibly in that position, you never know. He could go to another team, a a more desirable landing spot. You know, uh, of course, anybody time people think of tight ends, they automatically send them to Seattle because they think Russell Wilson just needs a tight end, but you know, wherever he does end up, he's going to be not just serviceable, he's going to be a top 10 tight end. Uh, again, he was healthy this year, didn't have that injury that everybody felt washed him up, but was a heavy injury that really limited him. And again, he also had a bad team in 2020 with the Eagles. So uh, I feel like Zach Ertz, even going in next year, I, I think he's definitely going to be a top eight, seven or eight tight end. You know, obviously, possibly depending on situationally where he's at. Yeah. Uh, I think if he stays in Arizona, he's probably pretty good. If he does go to a team with uh, a, a good quarterback or, you know, a, a dynamic offense, him being a part of it and sure hand it, you know, you become a quarterback's best friend in the situations like that. So, yeah, I like him. I like him a lot. Going into next season, where he's going to be a, an under the radar guy to a certain extent, because everybody said, like, "Oh, this is the year he falls off." Oh, He wasn't that good last year. Uh, he was still pretty damn good. So, you know, seventy-four receptions as far as the just the tight end position alone that puts him in the top four. Touchdowns, five, and that's decent. So that shows you too he's not dependent uh, on anything like that.
0: Yeah, he's always been a uh, he's always been a solid solid football player in all phases of the game. Honestly, he's like you said, super dependable. And, and we know that from his time here in Philadelphia, I I do. I think that, you know, at some point I, you know, obviously pass catchers, I think last a little bit longer in the league wide receivers, tight ends, they they last longer than running backs because there's, there's not as much wear and tear, but yeah, I, I, I never thought that Zach Ertz was washed. That was never the reason that I ranked him as low as I did. I just thought that, you know, as we talked about many times before, opportunity is sort of king in fantasy football. And I just didn't see him getting a ton of opportunities and Eagles lowest passing total uh, as far as attempts in the league. Jalen Hurts, you know, one of the lowest completion percentages among starting quarterbacks. So as far as why I had him ranked as low as I did, uh, I felt like it was justified. I think the numbers kind of prove that. So I don't think really, I mean, technically the way he finished, I, I got that one wrong, but uh, you would have told me that he he was going to go and, and play with a dynamic offense like Arizona. I probably would have had him ranked up in around 11 where you had him and, and maybe even a little bit higher because I don't think that he's completely over the hill as far as his career goes. I think he just, you know, it's Philadelphia. I thought he was in a, a not a great situation. That's all. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, follow us on social media. I am at the nine route one. Scott, is that Scott from Delco? Please, if you're listening to the show and you are, are liking any part of it, even a little part of it, hit that little plus and, and follow us. That really helps us out. If you if you follow the show and gives us a lets us track how many people are listening, so that we know whether we're uh, actually making a, uh, a difference out there or not. Scott, any last any final words before uh, we head back into the lab for these
1: championship games? Yeah. Uh. Yes. Definitely, folks. We do appreciate you listening. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. We do. Yeah. You know, we do like to know that we are not just two fools barking in the night out here. Um. But again, we do appreciate all those that listen. Yeah. Um. That does it for this week, and we're going to look to next week. I guess have a little. Well, Super Bowl preview that may carry over two weeks. You know, we'll have our own media week and, you know, maybe do another interview or something. Um,
0: We'll hit the uh, we'll hit the running backs and wide receiver rankings and, and, uh, you know, sort of see who we hit on and who we missed on there, too, as well. So that's going to do it for us, folks, from the nine route fantasy football podcast. We will see you next week with the results of the AFC and NFC championship games. Peace.